You're listening to the Oregon First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon outdoorsmen. Like, I want to encourage people to have a positive life change from the outdoors. Yeah. It's not just killing something. One question we ask on this show is, what's your true motivation behind your life in the outdoors? What's going on deep down inside of you when you're engaging with hunting and fishing? I believe that God gave us the ability to do this. That's one way to connect with God. This is where the spiritual piece really comes in. We are a part, we have a profound impact on our resources. I don't know how to answer that rather than to say it's, it's just all about Jesus. Listen to this podcast, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. Welcome to the show. We are so glad you tuned in, and I hope that you learned something valuable from today's episode. We're recording here in Albany at the Willamette Sportsman Show. It's live. I'm not going to be able to edit out any ums or any coughs or anything like that. So please have some grace for me and my guest today, Nathan Endicott. Nathan, say hi. Hey, how's it going? So you can hear in his voice that he's super tired and worn out because <laughs> he just can't get away. Any, everyone's Blacktail always seminars. trying to talk to him. Yeah. Blacktail seminars. He's a popular yeah. guy. So Got my coffee. I really appreciate you taking some time to carve out and uh, say hi to us. But Yeah, thanks for having well, me on. Hopefully you'll do more than just say hi. I mean, we, I got some good questions for you. So anyway... This show, if this is your first time tuning in, one of our goals is to provide content that is specifically geared toward what I believe is the most overlooked segment of the outdoorsman community. That is Pacific Northwest hunters and fishermen. So whether you're chase Roosevelt elk, pursue blacktail deer, you fish for Willamette River smallmouth, buoy 10 salmon, those of us that spend the fall and winter swimming around in the wettest woods in the lower 48, you have found your podcast. Welcome. Thank you for joining. I just have a couple announcements before we continue on with the show. I always want to invite everyone to join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing and to like our Instagram, that is OFHF Podcast. Our next event coming up right now, we're at the Willamette Sportsman Show. It's been great. We've met some awesome people. Uh, our next event's going to be a fishing trip in April, so watch out for that. And then we have Shop Talk coming up the fourth Monday of every month. Uh, we're here, like I said, live at the Willamette Sportsman Show. I have a couple shout-outs. First of all, to Oliver. He came and said hi. That was really cool. He uh, said he loved the show, and it was just an honor to get to meet him and meet someone who likes to listen to what we do. I never thought it would come to this point where, uh, you know, someone wants to come say hi to us at a random booth at a random cool. sportsman show. But, you know, Oliver, love you. That was awesome. Uh, Colby as well said he listened to the show before, signed up for the raffle. And a shout-out to Eugene who we met, and we're actually going to have him on the show sometime this season, uh, so look out for that episode. In this episode, we talk about uh, my duck season wrapping up, turkey season being on the way, a news segment about our new Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife director that will be coming our way, and a conversation with hunting filmmaker and passionate bow hunter Nathan Endicott. Yeah, that's me. That's him. For those of you (laughs) who do not know Nathan... He uh, is, like I said, I think passionate is a good word. At least that's how it comes across in your videos, your content. You love uh, being out there in the woods. You love pursuing your craft and doing the best you can with what you have. Living your life and to the fullest, right? Thank you, yeah. Living your life. I love that. So I'm excited. But now it's time for icebreakers. So I'm going to ask you the five icebreakers. Just answer them quick. Don't go into too many details. Okay. I know you hate that. That's but, all good. <laughs> yep, just off the fly. Okay. Fixed blade or mechanical? Mechanical. GoPro or DSLR? DSLR. So if you had to pick one state other than Oregon to hunt, where would you go? Nevada. Would you rather hunt old timber or a burned area? Old growth timber. All right. And then finally, trout fishing or grouse hunting? Pick one. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, gosh, both... Okay, uh, Okay, grouse. Just grouse? because I could take the kids now, mm-hmm. um, it's much easier to take the kids on that one. Well, trout fishing is kind of, like, close. Yeah, well, it depends because you, know. you like to do the high lakes. I like to do the high lakes yep. for trout. Yeah, so, that's, like, where the trout scene is for me uh-huh. is I hike in with a float tube, and yeah. it's mosquito season, so it's tough with the kids yet. Yeah. But that is by <laughs> far so amazing to do yeah. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, be- because like a lot of people might have heard trout fishing and thought going to uh, the river or the lake, yeah, the pond, the pond. Yeah, yeah. Going down here in Albany, we got Timberland, we got uh, Waverly planters. Pond. Yep. Yeah, I guess Which, High Lakes can't have planters, but I do like mm-hmm. the natural reproducing High Lakes yeah. the best. They, they fight the best. Um, yeah. Those fish are good. And you got to work hard for them. They're smarter. They're wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My, I will say though, my three-year-old son. He sure loves going to these little ponds and catching trout, so sure. I, I'm not above it's, that. I know, same. Yeah, I just love sharing it with the kids, and that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, awesome. Well, before we get into our local news story, I'm just going to share what's up in the outdoors with me, your host. Uh, like I said, coming off a of duck season, which I did a whole duck season recap episode right before this one okay. that I encourage people to listen to if they want to know what's the skinny of what happened. All in all, it was a pretty rough year for everybody. That's all I'll say. But I still had fun, had some good hunts. What constitutes a rough year? Like, uh, how would you just describe so that? It was so warm okay. that the ice never melted up in north until the very end of season. So we didn't get our migratory birds until way later than normal. Yeah. And so for that reason, a lot of the beginning of season, people were only getting on resident birds if they had and private land to hunt on. They've been shot at before. They, uh, they're just less of them. Okay. And, yeah, they, they just kind of know where to be. They know to be in the park. They know to be yeah. in someone's backyard Safe and zones. feeds them. Yep, yep, exactly. So it's it's just a lot harder, different game. Yeah. Uh, which So if you were a beginner duck hunter this year, don't feel bad. That It was across the board just a hard year, bad year to start duck hunting for the first time. Um, the old guys with private access who know exactly what they're doing, they slayed them. But Got they'll it. do that no matter what. Seems yeah. like they somehow make ducks appear to fill those uh, those limits. Uh, but now I'm prepping for the spring bird seasons. I'm excited uh, for the spring goose. I'm going to try to get out. That'll be my first ever, you know, intentionally goose hunting before. And so I don't know what that's like. I don't know how the late season hunts. I do have some fields I'll be able to go on and, and the river, of course. So we'll see how that goes. But if anyone has tips for getting those geese, I'm going to try to have a goose hunter guest on pretty soon to talk about goose hunting yeah um but i don't know it sounds sounds pretty appealing i know you can only get three this year but they're big birds they're big birds yeah Yeah. um do you think the appeal too is uh there's more meat for the effort as opposed to duck hunting yeah yeah for sure because uh some of those ducks like when i'm hunting the bays and i'm shooting buffalo heads or i mean I'm not above taking a coot. <laughs> I've done it. I got yeah. two coots this year. Yeah. You know, and you look at the legs on those things, and there's nothing there. I've smoked them whole before just to kind of pick meat off of them, and that was fine, but it was a lot of work. I'm going to be honest here. Most of the time, I just breast them out and cook yeah. the breast fillets yeah. that way on the small ducks. Um, so that so then you compare that to a goose. Even a big mallard, you know, there's a lot of meat on a big mallard. Oh, yeah. And then a goose is just that much that more. That much more, for yeah. sure. Plus keeps you out with a gun in your hands later in the year and uh, then right after that will be turkey season i'm excited for spring turkey that's going to be a blast uh (laughs) you know i haven't been turkey hunting for that long in my life but it's still something fun to do yeah you're gonna try any archery or you're gonna just go for the shotgun you know i'm really tempted because this year i have access to private property that holds a lot of turkeys in that case it's like try with your bow yeah i kind of want to make it harder cool but I kind of want to get some of those head lopper broadheads. You've seen those? The guillotine? Yeah. Is that what the Dude. I'm sure there's multiple, but yeah. that's the one I'm aware of, yeah. I have watched <laughs> hours of footage of people <laughs> lopping turkeys' heads off. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and not because I'm, like, sadistic or anything. No. It's just so yeah. satisfying. It's like a flunk, and then the turkey's <laughs> head is separate from its body, you know? But Yeah, I've never – I've only – yeah, never seen it really. Um, I've just heard yeah. it. guys talk about it all the time. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not much of a bird hunter, of course, other yep. than the grouse. But I, I think that would be neat uh, if I do pick up turkey hunting would be to try with my bow. Yeah. And to try try for the guillotine approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like that would be uh, a really big challenge with a bow. And it feels yeah. like, too, a clean miss or a perfect kill. Well, and I do like that aspect. They're so jumpy on movement. <clears throat> oh, sure. Shooting a bow is a lot more movement than shooting a gun. You know, even lifting up your gun, if you are not smart enough to have it lifted up before the turkey comes, yeah, like you, you can only hold full draw for so long. And sometimes that turkey takes a really long time to come around the tree or over the hill, you know? Sure. It could really sharpen your skills as an archer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why, like, uh, I've been told to practice shooting water bottles with my bow. Yeah. That that's a good to get, get it narrowed down to the turkey's neck and head. Mm -hmm. So 
I'll be doing that, uh, and that, that's what's been going on for me, my, my life in the outdoors recently. Uh, trout fishing, but, you know, we already mentioned that. I don't need to bring it up again because I just take my three-year-old to the pond and yeah. catch the stalkers. And yep. you know what? I'm proud of it. It's fun. No, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Just any reason to get out. It's yeah. Great. Yeah, absolutely. So for our local news, here's our look at the news. Our ODF director for the last, I think it was 2015 is when he was. Yeah, 2015 is when he was instated. Hmm. Uh, he's set to retire this April. So real quick overview. What do we know is that he's been the director since 2015. In 2023, he was reelected for a four-year term. So he's in the very beginning of that term. And uh, they've told us the plan is that recruiters from the state of Oregon and from a recruiting company in Tigard are going to conduct the search. A panel of two commissioners and a liaison from the governor's office will help screen the candidates. And the executive recruiters will consult stakeholders to learn what they feel is important for a new director. So I read that straight off of the website uh, there. That's, that's word for word on odfnw.com. They also said that then the final candidates are expected to be presented to the public in a public forum as early as mid-March. And then the final candidates will also meet with the governor or her designee. So not doesn't even have to meet with the actual governor, could potentially meet with her designee. Okay. And all, all that there, that background laid out what's happening, you know, where it's going. Obviously, a lot of us hunters and fishermen, it's going to sure. ring some bells. We have some concerns. Yeah. I've heard some people say, oh, I'm, I'm glad that guy's gone because I don't like what the ODFMW has been doing. I've heard then the rebuttal to that is, well, we don't know if we're going to get someone worse or yeah. someone who is bent toward a different position, yeah. especially since the governor has a big hand, apparently, in uh, kind of steering the ship on how, how this all goes down. Yeah, I hear that. So <coughs> it was public notice and public uh, input through the stakeholder groups. So I guess sh I shouldn't say public input, but really uh, stakeholder groups can provide input. Um, what was the final selection based off of? The final selection, uh, it says will, all that it says about the final selection is that they will be presented to the public in a public forum and then the final candidates will meet with the governor or her designee. It did not See, uh, explain who makes the final call, though. Yeah, I thought so I did hear you right. Yeah, it's not clear to me how they select the final candidate other than um, there would be a panel uh, determined by the governor and then selected from that panel. So it doesn't sound like a, yeah, there's it, really it's much. It's not like a public vote. No. It's not. Uh, it, Stakeholder, no. It's I'm, I'm sure that the, uh, the, the wildlife committee will have a lot to say that I wouldn't be surprised if they're the final vote, but mm. I, I'm not confirmed on that information. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously hope for the best. And then this is a great time as sportsmen to be prepared. Yeah. So if we do get some public comment or even the stakeholder groups, so like, um, Oregon outdoor council or how for wildlife, these yeah. other groups, it's a good time to bring them on and uh -huh. say, Hey, you know, you're representing the public here public pay in to your program so that you're the voice and that would be the stakeholder group that hopefully has some sway or input i think the emails that are uh prepared and the, and kind of for them like for the mass population um to send in i think they help but honestly it probably just bombards the public official and they just get tired of it yeah. so it's like having that really unified effort where everybody comes together and then you have the stakeholder group speaking on your behalf and representing what all the voices are, I think that maybe carries more weight. Um, while it's not, I'm not saying don't write in to the public official that gets to make the decision or the governor, um, but definitely partner with these agent, these groups, um, the stakeholder groups. So Oregon Outdoor Council, How for Wildlife, partner with them now, get on board with it, be behind the initiative, and so we can get somebody good in in that position, that director role. Yeah. And it, it needs to happen fast, and it might have already needed to happen because Seriously. it sounds like they're presenting them mid-March. And it's real interesting to me with mm. the hope that they can have a new person instated by April 1st. Oh. So, look, I, I mean, it's already, <laughs> it's already the uh, middle of February. Yeah. So We're who there. knows how far along they are in conversations. He only announced so, it in January, though. Okay, okay, that's where I got lost because I had heard um, just started the four-year term. Yeah. Okay, and so then that's where I missed that. 
Like um, right, this is accelerated. We're in the beginning of his four-year term. Something happened. I don't know. They're yeah. not saying why. They're not giving a reason. They're so praising him for his time he's just at done. the department. He's like, sorry, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see a reason anywhere in my reading. And, yeah. uh, you know, he said he's. they said he's been with the department for 40 years. Oh, sure. I mean, at some could point, you retire. Could, yeah. He could be in his late personal, 60s. Could be personal reasons. You yeah, who knows if there's a health that. thing or a family yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, hopefully, nothing bad happened, you know. Yeah. Um, but no matter what, we're in the position where we need a new ODF&W director. And uh, to me, it's happening fast. Wow. So part That's of me bad. wonders, though, because a fear we might have is that this would be a foot in the door for animal rights groups to do in Oregon what they have done and are doing in Washington yeah. as far as moving away from, you know, or not that not that they're able to do this by replacing the director, but it, it could be a step if there's a director who's more empathetic toward this idea that instead of the hunters being the main stakeholders of wildlife management and the non-hunter the non-hunter and the person who likes to just look at deer being a stakeholder mm. even though they don't pay anything for the deer to yeah. exist you know um and that's what washington is facing is that yes. mindset and so the fear is could this be we talked a about foot that in the door oh last yeah. time on bear and yeah, yeah yeah exactly and because washington lost their spring bear season that was the yeah. so so now we're kind of on high alert and so when we hear about this leadership change, we begin to an the, ask those questions like, is this a weakness? Is this a foot in the door? Yeah. Um, I hope that because it's happening so fast, who knows who knew about this Could retirement beforehand? Yeah. Barring that, if everyone's finding out at around the same time, hopefully it'll happen fast enough that they don't have time to kind of rally up you some know. candidate. It's yeah. It sounds like they have a process in place and it's it's announced. But typically, most public officials are there would be an interim appointed yeah. until they could follow a typical process timeline yeah. and uh -huh. and a, and really account for the public comment and stakeholder input that they're they're um, asking for. And yes, yeah. So yeah, and this this guy surprised. was uh, interim before he was voted in when his 2015 oh, okay. first term started he was interim before that before okay. he was officially voted in so maybe it'll be similar yeah okay we would hope so yeah uh because to give us three months it's not a lot of time it's not enough time at all no. you know like uh being in the church world <coughs> it literally can take years for a church to find the right lead pastor you know, to, re to replace that role over one nonprofit organization, it's such a careful selection, interviews, prayer, yeah. consideration for multiple years. Then for our Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, which is millions and millions of dollars funding, dealing with uh, our most valuable natural resources and managing how it's used by the public and so many different facets that this organization is in control yeah. of that directly impacts our lives as passionate hunters and fishermen that I would really hope that the permanent position is filled in longer than three months. Yes. Unless yeah. they already had someone in the tube that they wanted. Unless they already had it in mind and shortcutting yep. some stuff, which we hope not. But yep. um, yeah, you know, uh, it'd be important to look into um, that process, that process as it unfolds <coughs> and making sure they are doing everything right because uh i mean yeah it, it could be protested or just challenged yeah um so hopefully the stakeholder groups do speak up and yeah uh, my dad's a good resource so i'm gonna go bend his ear after this and <laughs> yeah ask him figure about out it. what we could do yeah. yeah so could you the ones that you named offhand uh, yeah. that you think might be a good voice for this yeah. could you say them one more time for the listener to know who to look into to support you so said Hal for Wildlife. Yeah, Hal for Wildlife. John Stallone from Arizona. And so he is the V. I can't remember if he's the president or VP of that organization. And so you can um, sign up for like for free and get email notices on what's going on. And they cover the U.S. wide on um, regulations and changes across the states. And then so Oregon Outdoor Council is Oregon specific, of course. And my dad uh, was... Um, I don't believe he still is, but he was uh, the vice president for a long time. Um, and so 
Uh, it's a great organization, and again, they kind of try to spearhead these changes that we see um, through ODFW, and uh, yeah. and then be able to show up to the symposiums or any public comment and speak on our behalf. And also, they compose the emails that the general public can then use as a template and write into the public official to let your voice be heard. And so, yeah, um, yeah, that's what those two are. And so, yeah, just googling them, looking at the websites, and signing up for the free email. Uh, notice that's how you would stay updated with these changes uh -huh. but this is the first I've actually heard of this so I, I was not aware oh, yeah okay wow yeah. yeah so and that's one thing I want to uh, encourage challenge our listeners to do is to not quickly forget about this this is a big yeah. deal uh, do some research find out what's going on as news comes out soak it up process figure out what's happening and uh, always be looking for ways to help steer the ship and make it go the direction we need it to go yeah, because we can be complacent and say, oh, we can't do much about it. But ultimately, it's like if you want your kids or even your future to be, um, yeah, uh, for yeah. the opportunity to exist, we, we got to think about now. And <laughs> when things example, change like this, we got to be conscious. Yep. The boogeyman we can look to is Washington because yeah. it is unfolding in a bad way there. And Oregon likes to follow suit with what happens in Washington and yeah. California. So let's uh, let's steer the ship. Let's try to keep it going the way we want to go. That's right. So that's it for our news story. Let's get into our conversation with Nathan Endicott. Where will it go? Yep, this is a surprise. You're not going to know what direction we're going. I'm absolutely unaware. <laughs> yep. Well, first of all, I just want to okay. say welcome back. Yeah. Thank you for being on it. Um, did you know that you made our intro? I didn't. Yeah, and that's that was kind of fun. Yeah, you're a little surprised. What, <laughs> yeah. what do you think of it? Give a critique and a and an encouragement. Uh, critique and encouragement. Critique is that it's my voice. <laughs> the encouragement is that I get to read, read redeem myself today. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I I think we're I'm still kind of toying with the idea now that we're entering our second year of the show is starting like a second season. Oh sure. You know and yeah. So I'll probably change the intro with more recent uh, input rather than stuff that's a year old, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so that that could be fun. So listeners be ready for that. Last time you were on, I asked you to share your favorite hunting or fishing store or outdoor experience. But this time, since you've already asked that question, it, it can never change for the rest of your life. I'm just going to ask you to share a memorable experience from this season. Okay, memorable experience. And that's easy. Um, so taking my wife this year to yeah. get her blacktail. So my wife had a baby. It was our fourth kid. So wow. uh, we had our child on October 3rd. And so uh, many are aware of the late dates for the rifle or the, any legal weapon tag here in Oregon. Yeah. And so uh, we have the baby. We, <laughs> uh, we're doing good. Like he's doing great, eating good. And we're kind of at that point where, you know, of course we have four kids. They're, they're wild. We're busy. But uh -huh. we're like, well, now what? Yeah, do we start to look out time? the window a little bit? <laughs> like, okay. It's fall. <laughs> It's deer season. Yep. Um, we tried the year before with rifle, tried really hard, and uh, had no oh, luck. Yeah. Mm. And we had less excuses. And, and so it was kind of like, well, let's get out and do something fun. We're kind of cooped up. I've got some time off for bonding, which was a blessing. Yeah. So I get to bond with my children, and now we have four. So all, all, it's so much more important that I get that time off to help yeah. her. And uh, so, yeah, we get out in the woods, and we had Grandma help a couple times, watch some of the kids. But... On one occasion, we get out with uh, the three younger boys. So it's Aya, Easton, and Eldon. Eldon's the four, mm. the uh, at that time one month old exactly. Yeah. So there's wow. this moment where like I'm pushing the double bob stroller. I've got Eldon, the infant, on my chest and a baby <laughs> carrier. So I've got three boys. My wife's out front like 100 yards with uh, blaze orange and walking ahead with a rifle on an old skid road, and we're out hunting. And it's yeah, like it, that's awesome. the whole time, you know, I'm like ah. Uh, like, what's the odds? This is, well, it's fun to get out. It feels like, like kind of a, like a I walk in say, the woods. Yeah. I shouldn't say like, uh, like a complete, um, completely useless effort. It's, it's not completely useless because anything could happen. Yeah. But, um, it definitely felt not possible. It felt uh -huh. totally impossible to have had anything happen for us. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we go on this big hunt and we come back to our truck at the parked at the end of a landing and um i look over and i see some people glassing below us and so i go over to them talk with them real quick 
And they're like, yeah, there's a couple spike bucks below where you guys were parked. Oh. And so I, I send wow. my wife out, and she drops down, drops in this unit, gets on these bucks, um, and she blows them out. And there's two, oh, yeah. two like, little forky guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so she hikes back up to this skid road. I'm coming around to meet her. And when I'm doing that, um, I'm in the vehicle. <laughs> and I look down in the bottom of this unit, and I see a bigger buck. Wow. And this is a buck that nobody's seen, right? Because there's like, yeah. there's Did like other people. Did he stand up when he heard your car? No. No, he's laying down. No, yeah, he was probably like 300 yards. Yeah. And so it is a little bit of a shocker, like, why did that buck? But mm-hmm. he was tucked in real tight. I think he thought he was safe. Um, he you was kind what? of like a dugout deer bed. You know that they sit right under everyone's noses. Yeah. Like, so he probably Th- thought he was hidden. It's it's private timber, private timber land. Um, we I hardly ever hunt this way, but... But with the wife and kids, that's about all we can do. Yeah. Is, it's, it's basically Damn a modified right road you, hunt. Man. Yep. Yeah. And sometimes that's what you got to do if you want to involve your wife and kids. Yeah. Like, you, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to take them back in the wilderness like I do but uh, for myself, but. Yeah, you no, know those I mean, little fingers on kids get frostbite <laughs> easier than ours. So it's, maybe. yeah, very <laughs> unsafe, not smart, irresponsible. But anyway, yeah. so uh, I see the buck. And I drive back around, and then I get my wife out of the rig, and we had there's this couple that was like spectator crowd, and they that we already talked to about this the spike bucks. They come over and help us anyway. So I get my wife set up on this buck, and um, it took a long time. I have a film of this on the Endicott Films YouTube, and I um, I had to get the buck to stand up, so I huck a rock and it stands up, and yeah. it's kind of funny because we're like back and forth on camera, like do you see it? And she doesn't see it, and I'm like it's right there. It's like there's a log, it's down. She goes, okay, I think I see it. I'm like I'm gonna throw a rock when it stands. You gotta shoot. Yeah. And I throw the rock, and she's like I don't see it. I'm like what? And so it's just wild. And then she yeah. just nails the buck when she does see it, and we're freaking out. <clears throat> we get wow. um, go back up to the kids, and then uh, Kevin and his wife were there. And so Kevin's a pastor, actually, of a church, and he went down with us to go recover the buck. So I had my son, Aya, and then my wife, and then Kevin came, and then Kevin's wife's an OB or a nurse or something. Yeah. And so she was able to stay with the two young ones because, again, it's like <laughs> in my head, how is this going to all work out? Yeah. And it's just like a miracle. The two perfect people in the whole two world. Two perfect people yeah. in the whole world were there to help. <laughs> and totally unplanned, we go down, recover the buck, and my favorite wow. part of the whole thing is that my son, Aya, tells the story. And it's oh, and I yeah. filmed it, and so I captioned it on my film, <laughs> and it's so funny, uh, just awesome. listening to him retell the story. Yeah, and um, I he's love just it. Obs- is obsessed with hunting and hiking. And, he and calls how old it, is Aya? He's four now. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Just I turned four, well, December and man. Yeah. So seeing his joy, and of course my wife and I sharing that moment together. So it'll be tough to top that one, I think, for a long time because it was like, first of all, a miracle. Yeah. And, and second, um, just some beautiful memory. Yeah. You know, yeah. Pretty buck. Uh, cool, cool setting. Yeah. Worked, it worked out. It, it might it easily could go the other way. Yeah. That's the reality of hunting. And uh, this time it went in our favor. So, man, it was neat. I love it. And <coughs> what, you, yeah. what day of the year was that? <laughs> that was November 3rd and season ended November 10th yeah. this year, which is unreal. Unreal. Yeah. I know. I thought it was a given, but here I am. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I love that story. So what's the name of that video on your channel? Uh, so I just started a new series, and I want to keep doing this, but it's called um, A Short Story, and I just name it Sammy Joe Indicott. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, and so I have another one that's a short story about Joseph Stark, and okay. he's a buddy. So I want to keep doing these films because yeah. similar to what we've talked about, my passion is uh, more than just hunting, but that that shared experience with others and really how important it is for ourselves and our and our health and our faith is to be out in the woods. So I, l- I want to capture that and then um, and then kind of highlight good character within mm. within the hunt. And so Joseph yeah. Stark, my buddy, just an awesome guy. And so I was able to capture him, share some really cool things. I spliced it into his blacktail hunt that I took him on and he okay. got a buck. Yeah, yeah. I, I did watch that one. Okay. Yeah. So, which I, I thought that one came out uh, before. Before my wife's. It did. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's why I haven't seen your wife's yet, but I've seen that one. Yep. I yeah. took him out. And then just a few weeks later, um, I took my wife and we got that buck. So that was the like second of the series. Yeah. So they're just named after the, the, the person. Yeah. And uh, all my other films are like, they've got a title and they've yeah. got one through whatever. These ones are just separate. Like mm. they're like an independent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah production got it and uh and i'm really excited about it i want to do one with just more of my 
kind of like I have like a list of people I really respect and look up to. Yeah. Not in a way of, um, they're not like the best hunter in the world. They're sure. just like the, to me, like the best human in the world. And Got so it. I want to capture them Yeah. And, and take them hunting. And That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're able to get your wife into that Thank series. You. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And everything you say about, you know, the kids, I've got a three and a half year old and a, uh, uh, she's six months as yeah. of just a few days ago, wow. hitting solid food. So I'm right there with you when you're talking about your son giving the story about mm -hmm. what happened, you know, just, just past four years old. I can just hear my son just yammering, telling yep. the story. Man, that's good stuff. So what's new with you? We've already talked about how you, you had another kid. Got Congratulations, another kid. number Thank four. You. Yep, Did you set four. out to have four <laughs> kids? No. No, okay. Yeah. So when you got married, what was your goal? Kids-wise. Uh, well, you know, it's tough to say that I would want to overprescribe, like, what's our fate with uh, kids and uh -huh. and parenting and all of that. Sure. I think we were always open to having uh, a big family. Yep. <coughs> I think my I'd wife and I... I qualify now. What's that? I think you qualify now. Yeah, we're experts yeah. now <laughs> at having kids. Uh, so, yeah, I think two is kind of like we uh, saw ourselves having at least two kids. Yes. And... Um, and then when we hit four, we're like, Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah, we're at capacity um, for, uh -huh. for ourselves to parent. And, um, and but, man, we love our children so much. And it's like I could never imagine st have been stopped at two. Yeah, like, yeah. The, each personality and just as a parent being blessed with another human. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very special. And, um, yeah. and I – I never thought I'd have three boys. Um, <laughs> and so that's kind of fun too. Yeah. Uh, and I, of course Man. I get to, my oldest is my daughter uh -huh. and I get to spoil her with all my love and <laughs> um, being my only daughter. Yeah. And that, that feels good too. So, um, mm. but yeah, girls are so special, the little girls. And so, um, yeah, I'm yeah. super grateful. My oldest is my daughter. Yep. Dude, I, I've noticed something so different, you know, having a boy first than having a girl. You just treat them different. You hold yes. them different. They're, yeah. They're girls, you yeah. know. It, it really yeah. is different being a girl. She's my dad. little princess. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. No, I, I love it. Um, so, other other things. What's new other than family? You went on some out of state hunts, didn't yes. you? Yeah. yeah, California. California, and you didn't go anywhere else. This I year? did. Yeah, I went to Arizona. Yeah, but that's, that's not right. not necessarily new for for me. Sure, but but you still, yeah, you did some out of out of Oregon hunting. Yep. Um, you you get kicked in your butt or did you have a great time? I did. Yeah. Yeah. This whole <laughs> last 2023 and kind of carried into Arizona. Uh, it feels like things just didn't go my way and that's, that's sure. archery hunting. That's hunting. Yeah. Uh, so Keeps it happens. Humble. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I mean a lot, cause some people too, from the outside seeing the films and blacktail, it's like, how are you always successful? Like you must be doing something different and it's no, it's just sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And yeah, this, this last year, 2023 was pretty tough. Yeah. I'll wait for the announcement. Oh, it ended. Okay. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. No, I, and I've never hunted out of state. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not really, I'm just overwhelmed by thinking of doing a big hunt somewhere far away, like Colorado, Arizona, Idaho, yeah. just as far as the whole point thing. I know there's over the counter tags, yeah. the whole going out there camping. And I, it might just be because of where I am with having two young kids, but yeah. I mean, you still did it. You've got four young kids, but you know, um, so, it, so it's fun to, to watch other people go through that and, you know, be humbled. <laughs> yeah. What, what would make it, um, for yourself kind of, uh, is it, is it just the wife and kids at home or what, what's that barrier? Yeah. yeah to keep it's, you? it's leaving them behind. Like yeah. even now when I do my three or four day hunts here, in the state of Oregon, like it, yeah. it's, I don't, I don't spend much time away from them. I don't do business trips or anything like that. Yeah. So it, it is a big deal when I'm gone. Like uh, a lot of my buddies at this time of my life, well, I guess they're all married now, but a lot of my yeah. buddies were getting married for a while. So even those, those summer, we always did camping trips cause mm -hmm. we don't have any interest to go to the casino or the bar or anything. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, even those being gone for, for a few days, the deer camps being gone, it's just kind of hard, so I, I would imagine going out to, for example, Colorado for a week. It, it'd just be rough at yeah. this point in my life. Absolutely. But and then I have this thing lingering over me of like, well, if you never start saving up points, you're never going to go. Mm -hmm. And then I hear the doomsday stuff from all the people who love to hunt in those states and say, well, 
the point wolves creep keeps happening point creep, yeah. and the wolves, but you know, yeah. the point creep, so it's like you'll never be it to do it. So I don't know. I don't know. Over the counter will probably be what I have to do someday, but yeah. Glad that you were able to make it out. California, Arizona, good stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely um yeah, for my wife and having that many kids and me being gone, uh, it's definitely very, very tough and um but it, I think it grows us uh, both um, as individuals and as parents. And to be able to go through that, it feels like that's kind of like a struggle or a hard time is for the lack of help because I'm not there. Mm. Um, I do yeah. have like my, my, all our family is in town. So my, my, mm. my wife's parents live like a mile down the road, almost more like a half mile. And then my mom is like the biggest help in the world. And so it really makes you know my wife have to depend on others for help. And so that's good for her, too, because she tries to super mom all the time. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes we have to depend on others. Yeah. And it's like it takes a tribe, you know, uh-huh. to raise, raise the kids, raise the family. So, yeah. Um, so I think that's good for us. And uh, we wouldn't have done that otherwise. You know, we would just be um, at home doing it ourselves. We wouldn't ask for help. Um, so while it is very hard, I think it, it's a good growing opportunity, too. Yeah. And it's one way to look at it. <laughs> at least that's yeah, how I, I see that. look at it. Um, yeah. So, because I still want to get out and to my wife and say, "Hey, <laughs> it's like a workout, you know. You like yeah. you do something hard that hurts a little bit, and yeah. then like we're stretched, you know." Yeah, indefinitely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely very hard, and I don't discount that part of it. When when I do talk about me leaving town, it's very very hard. Yeah. Um, and I try to make my hunts as efficient as possible, and come home as soon as possible because I don't sure. try to be away any longer than I have to. Mm-hmm. But then again, my wife is so supportive and she wants to see me enjoy that t- that part of my life. Something that, you know, I went to school, I was an athlete and I had no time to hunt. And I always thought, you know, when I become, when I'm older, I'll have more time to hunt. And then now you're a parent, yeah, you have responsibilities yeah. and you got to be there for the kids. And it's like, well, do mm-hmm. I have time to hunt? And so she still encourages me to go. And, uh, and then we're good partners at home when I am there. So it's not yeah. like it necessarily takes away from the parenting aspect of having mom and dad at home. Cause I'm gone for pretty short stints. Like the kids, they hardly, they know daddy's hunting and, yeah. but I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much a blink of an eye for, sure. for their lives yeah. at this time. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of truth to that, uh, as well. Like I mostly do day hunts. And so during the general rifle deer season, you know, we get the month of October and a little bit of November. I usually, the most I've ever done is I got 23 day hunts in one year. Wow. Um, and that was when we only had one kid. Yeah. Last year we had two kids. I got, I think I got either 15 or 16 day hunts in. So that's so when you half have three, you're down to seven days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the, the girl was also born in August. So, you know, she was still pretty, I'll probably get more mm. next year. But anyway, all that to say is I'll share that with some of my buddies and they're blown away by that oh. because they only get the weekends. I work at a church. I'm a pastor. I make my own hours. So yeah. I can, you know, hunt for most of a day and come home and do my work at night, you yeah. know, during the midweek, unless I have meetings or something. Uh, and then I don't hunt the weekends because I work the weekends. But all that to say is, you know, there's there's people who struggle to even find time to hunt normally that when we look at some of the celebrity hunters or whoever that are working, sometimes I'm even a little judgmental (laughs) when I see, when I hear of like a celebrity hunter and you know, they hunt in five different States in one season. Yeah. And I'm like, does your family go with you? Like, do you even see them? But you know, it's an important thing to discuss that, uh, any any normal person isn't alone in struggling to carve out time to hunt. Yes. But it's also real important to us, and so we do what we can. And the point I'm bringing up with me being, you know, hunting for 23 days in one season is maybe it would be better for me to just, like, knock it out, be gone for a week, instead of spreading it out to where it's, like, half home, half not home. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't know. And uh, while you're saying that, um, I have talked about this concept with a friend and it's like that level of sacrifice that both individuals are you know you put out but like the more you sacrifice it's like related to your enjoyment and fulfillment within hunting so not to take away from um like as you put it like more of the celebrity hunter that gets to hunt uh without responsibility but it does feel personally very rewarding when uh, how much we have to sacrifice to make it happen um 
So that's all I had to say on that. But yeah. No. Yeah. It, and that's the thing too. Like, even on a micro level, like the the one animal that you kill, right, for the season. Yeah. And part of what makes that so rewarding, that moment, is all the work you've put into it. So in it, but when we say that, most of the time we're thinking about the miles hiked, the early mornings, the lack of sleep, the bumps and bruises, you know, and less of the time away from my family. That's the sacrifice I yeah. was talking about is the time yeah. away from family. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you have to do all that other stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. That's so like the easy sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. The hard sacrifice is the time away from family. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that you brought that up. I think it's important for people to hear that and yeah. know like, well, you're not alone in the, in the sacrifice and in True. the, yeah. you know, you're going to spend your time doing something. The times I can bring my family into it are so life-giving, and yes. I love it so much. But then there's also a lot of times that I just need to be out there alone. Yep. And it's not because I'm some kind of animal that's obsessed with filling tags constantly. Right. It's just because I, I love being out there. I need my time. Like what we've talked about a lot on this show, it's a way I connect with God. It's a way that I uh, reconnect with myself and who yeah. I am. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of aspects to consider with that. Yeah. But to get back into our conversation about what's new— Okay. Um, you got a massive blacktail <laughs> this year. <laughs> he was a pretty really good. cool blacktail. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, have you ever gotten a blacktail that has like a any kind of kicker or thing like like what you're, you can you explain the rack of your blacktail that you okay. got? Yeah. So, I've hunted uh, for 23 years in Oregon with with my bow, and I put in a lot of time, and I've never seen anything like this. So the buck I killed is a kind of like chocolate antlered, lots of mass, and uh, he's a really tall buck. So his frame is like like 138 um, inch uh, four by four frame. Wow. Um, maybe a little bigger actually. And then uh, he's got a like a five and three eighths inch dropper um, <laughs> coming off that right side. It's not like a little one. No, it's, it's not a, like a little, it's and it's a like legit. a legitimate like it it like curves yeah. and like almost paddles yeah <laughs> so it's, it's like cool. like the most stereo or uh classic like yeah. iconic that's the word uh dropper that's uh-huh. like this buck got it and yeah. he's a blacktail yeah like, it's it's more common with blacktail to have more of a tine it mm-hmm. just looks like a like a dagger point coming off like a like a sticker but a sticker that's going straight down yeah. that's much more common yeah. on blacktail mules and to have like really messy bases and stuff yep messy yeah. bases muleys are the ones that kind of have more of that wavy dropper mm-hmm. look um so i was pretty fortunate and then also he splits to make a five on that left side oh so, yeah, yeah yeah i love it so then uh that just i have one question because i i know you have like so much content out there about yeah. this buck and everything but oh sure how many bucks did you pass up that year before you came across this guy none None. <laughs> wow. So no, wait. Uh, well, I did not pursue, but I didn't pass up any. If that makes sense, like I didn't have any like twenty-yard broadside shots on any bucks. Okay. But there was uh, there was like there were three or four bucks I did not pursue. Got it. Yeah. That you you saw them. You're like not. It either wasn't a good situation or you thought not quite the buck I'm holding out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this guy came along. Yeah. How many days left did you have in the season? The him? whole uh, it was yeah I got I shot him on uh, opening day oh and, and I didn't for realize those, that yeah it was uh, opening day this year was the weekend after Thanksgiving yeah and so it was a really late actually the latest in history opener yep and so uh, I you know I've told this story before and um, it's it's really a long story uh, I was gonna target a different buck that I had sheds from and had been patterning and sure. had trail camera. And that buck got killed by a muzzleloader hunter. Mm, yeah. The, uh, that I found out. I found that out the day I was leaving. Oh wow. Yeah. So but then you I had know what you were going for. Exactly. So yeah. I had this clean slate, and I come across the buck I shoot on opening day, and he whirls away when I shoot, and I actually clip him in the low leg, which was not going to be a fatal hit. No. And I ha- I trailed, ran out of blood, had a little bit of blood, um, ended up not getting enough opportunity to kill him that evening, quit it talked yeah. to my dad met up in the morning the craziest part about all of it and i left this out in times where i have told this story but my dad actually stands in a spot where this buck would have been possibly bedded below him at like 20 or 30 yards yeah and he didn't know it was there and he moved on and i was going back to pick up blast blood trail yeah and then i come and stand in that same very spot where my dad stood just that morning 
yeah. and then I see movement, and it's the buck I'd hit. He wow. comes out, and I make my killing shot on him. So you think he was he was bedded down, down yeah. below? Yeah. Like, what's the odds suffering? of that? It was yeah. like there's wow. So yeah, it's a really long story, and yeah, you don't um, need to yep. share the whole thing. And so uh, just just really to highlight it, it just felt like it was such a gift because yeah. I've been struggling a lot, and then mm. to have my my favorite hunt pan out with a dream buck yeah. the beauty of its cape alone would have been mm. i mean say it was a heavy three point and with that cape and the beauty of that oh, really? buck itself would yeah. have been literally like a dream blacktail yeah and then to put that rack on on that cape and beauty of a buck it it's it's more it i couldn't even put a one in a what kind of number on it like one in a million i don't know yeah i've yeah. never seen another deer like it that's beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, there's very few that have that cape color and that rack. It's uh-huh. special. So I was lucky. Very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing it, man. Cool. So uh, uh, more things new. It seems like you've gained some recognition as far as, I know you hate talking about this, but like as far as, I mean, you've just been on a ton of podcasts. Your YouTube account has gotten a lot more subscribers. <laughs> but, you know, how does it feel to like have that people wanting to talk to you so much like even just here at the show it's like insane how you can't even get away <laughs> without just someone like oh I, I love what you do I love what you're doing kind of a thing oh sure how's that feel well I mean I work hard at the things I love to do and so of course there's always that part in us that likes to feel appreciated or valued for the things we try hard at because I mean I, I, yeah it's it's not why I do it but I definitely appreciate it I appreciate that people to find value in that and so i think if anything what what i like to hopefully do and promote is that if i get a stage to speak from so with my youtube or whatever is that i could appreciate what i find to be valuable from it so that's the people again that i hunt with the good character and also um appreciating the wildlife we kill and and also you know appreciating god that he gives us this gift of life to hunt within so all those things really like that's that's my platform <laughs> mm. and so if i get any platform to stand on that's what i want to try to preach and push forward and so yeah. um so yeah i i don't necessarily view it as uh a self-gain yeah really ever if anything i try to divert and say this is this is the star of the show it's the animal it's not me um yeah, i yeah. edit that way i don't like to be in, in on the camera <laughs> dude and that is such an important mindset like um I'm trying to think of the direction I want to go when I bring this up. So I I work in ministry. I'm a pastor. I work at a church. And there's this mindset that you have to learn. You have to gain. We don't naturally have this humility built into us. Naturally, as human beings, we're very selfish. And we want to have personal gain. We want to pursue, whether it's financially, whether it's popularity, whether it's Whatever it is, there's we, we always are concerned with us consuming, us getting better. When uh, and, and that translates over into people's life in ministry. When they become a pastor, when they start leading a ministry, they blend the success of that ministry with their own success. Hmm. And that's where, where, that's where that like self-centered idea comes in that is only removed by humility is like, okay, we we had a ministry event, we planned it, and five people came, and it felt yeah. like a failure. Oh, sure. Then you'll you'll project that onto yourself, yeah. of, I'm a failure, when instead we should be giving all the glory to God. And the same thing is true when things start to get successful, and you've got 50 people, and someone was saved, and it was an awesome event, yeah. right? The, yeah. Then you take the glory for that, and you're like, oh, we planned such a cool thing and said all the right stuff and it was awesome and and now look at how good we are yeah when that that's a that's the wrong mindset and so for people who aren't in ministry i i believe that everyone who's a follower of jesus is a leader and it's their responsibility to uh point people in their life to christ and to know him and so like for the example you gave of not seeing the platform as you're just self-aggrandizing like I'm so good at making videos. I'm so good at hunting. I'm so successful. Everyone wants to listen to me because I'm the smartest guy, (laughs) you know, smartest guy in the room. That's, (laughs) that's not, that's not the attitude I ever get from you. And I don't think anyone could say that from their conversations they have with you. Instead, instead it's a, it's a humble attitude of like, you know, I, 
this is happening to me and I'm doing the best of what I can versus I'm the one who made this all so good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you have any response to that. I don't know. I mean, you shared a lot of good stuff there. Sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I could, I mean, it's, it's human nature to want to really, uh, self-promote and, um, and yeah, be the focus of attention maybe because I think over time humans had to survive and that was one of the ways not everybody's that way there's yeah. kind of introvert extrovert type personalities and people are all different but um, definitely for me I've always wanted to lift up someone else and mm. that comes with just the way I was raised and being in the church and my faith in God mm-hmm. is like uh, so there was a definition of love as uh, making others exist, bringing someone up that w- otherwise mm. would not be noticed. Yeah. And I, I served in Young Life for a lot of years. And Young Life, the whole thing is win the right to be heard and share the gospel as an outreach to kids that would otherwise never step foot in church. So mm. um, my mind has always been shaped around finding someone that needs that friend or that comfort that doesn't ever get it. Um, and so it just carried into what I do now. So I, I still yeah. don't want to be the attention of anything. I wanna, <laughs> I w- and how do I lift up others and the stuff I do? Because yeah. that's what feels right. That mm-hmm. That is my joy. That fills yeah. me up. Yeah, and yeah. I see that in you. Like even I keep giving the example of being at the show and everyone wants to talk to you. You don't, you don't ever turn people away. Like even when you're busy, there's stuff going on and you have to go to this or go to that. You know, you're, you're sitting there just humbly answering any questions that anyone has, giving them your full attention and, that's a that's a real important uh, mark of character that I see in you. So anyway, uh, that's what's new in your life. Big long roundabout to get to that. Yeah. Let's move on to some uh, uh, more applicable tips for people wanting yeah. to hunt and fish and take advantage of the great resources we have here in Oregon. One thing that people always want to know, and it's it's important to them, is how can we keep ourselves in the zone, keep ourselves in the mountains, in the woods, on the water, year-round? Hmm. And, uh, I mean, you partake in quite a few different hunting and fishing adventures. And yeah. so I wanted to ask you the question, what are your favorite outdoor activities that keep yourself in the wild year-round? Yeah, and you have to. I mean, you got to stay busy. I got to keep my mind working yeah. and active. And I'm always thinking about how do I, you know, do something new to combine family, kids, outdoors. H- have you noticed, I, I've noticed this in myself, when I when I do have like a, a longer time of not hunting, not like using those skills and those senses, they kind of get dull. So mm-hmm. like when usually uh, used to be when I wasn't spending as much time out there, my first hunt of the year, my eyes weren't trained to pick up certain mm-hmm. things. And so I was like straining, almost blurry looking. Vision. Yeah, like yeah. instead of seeing the depth of the forest and the trees, I would see more of like a, a one dimension or two dimensional, just like wall. Yeah. And and it t- takes a while for my eyes to adjust and start latching on to certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you noticed that as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so that that's why I see it's important to stay, you know, you stay sharp. You yeah. Figure it out year uh-huh. round, and yeah, I I'm always coming up with creative ideas, and we t- you talked about it earlier, but. Um, so involving the family or not, I always ask my wife like, Hey, do you want to go? And sometimes she's Mm -hmm. like, definitely like a no, but every once in a while she like takes the bait and I get her to go on a trip Yeah, and, uh, I'll rope her into some crazy adventure and, um, and loop the kids in. But yeah, that is the angle is I always try to include the, my wife and kids. That's always like, Hey, would you want to go on this trip? And then, um, and then what's the next thing I do during that season? So, I mean, we've done like, uh, crabbing off the jetty awesome. or um i haven't done clamming yet but we talked about that that's yeah. i have a buddy that clams a lot and we went to the coast a couple weekends ago with the intent to and we didn't mm-hmm. get around to it but that was the idea yeah and then into fishing with the kids yeah versus and then high lake when i can mm-hmm. and then shed hunting um haven't really done that with my kids yet yeah so yeah i mean i always try to find an excuse to, to get out mm-hmm. and um so that will do the two things one mentally good for me two keeps me sharp yeah. physically even your eyes uh because yeah i noticed that with living in a world where i'm focused at like two feet away on a computer screen mm. my eyes are not conditioned to focusing quickly out at a distance yeah and it's uh yeah there's a physical component to that and like a training and sharpness uh-huh. yeah so i think that's all good stuff that you brought up um i don't even yeah. think about it this is just i don't think about this ever but, no okay. but i definitely like i, sh- I shape my life around it uh-huh um 
and uh, yeah. So yeah. So I mean, to give some examples, very obviously, we have our big game seasons. So you can. It's very easy to spend the fall. You know. Yeah. Especially if you do archery, you know, you start off in the beginning of September. Used to start off in the end of August, but now we're a week later. Um, and so that that's quite a good way to begin. Just look look at black uh, blacktail for example. Scouting, everyone always brings that up. It's an important part. Uh, do you spend a lot of time in the woods, like far outside of blacktail season, or do you spend your scouting more close to season? Yep, I do not like to scout during the rifle hunt, and that's like you know right mm. really before yeah. archery late opens up. Um, yeah, if I go out. Uh, elk hunting sometimes I'll pay attention uh, and kind of scout for deer at the same time yeah but definitely kind of leave it alone I think what's paid off over the years for scouting is shed hunting and high lake fishing mm. and just hiking trailheads camping yeah with friends and they didn't know it was a blacktail spot and I took them camping and stuff <laughs> like that like, awesome yeah so I think it's just always being a student of the areas you're going for whatever purpose you can get out in the woods going to cut a Christmas tree I always pick areas I don't hunt so I could learn, you know, in the snow, where is there deer sign in this area? Yeah. You can learn a lot from that. So getting Christmas mm. tree, grouse hunting, and I'm driving, I pick road systems I never hunt so I could learn new road systems. Oh, pick yeah. Brand new mountains. And I found a herd of elk that way this year. Nice. Um, with my wife is just, we yeah. were going grouse hunting. I pick a landing, jump out with my son. We hustle down the ridge and I turned up a herd of elk. Yeah. And so that's kind of the, scouting is, um, not really where I hunt. Sure. It's looking for new stuff. Got it. Because I've spent a lifetime, yeah. you know, really honing in a lot mm -hmm. of spots where I blacktail hunt. And I've noticed that. I, I have a method for my spot selection and my scouting. I always have a rotation of five spots that I'm really primarily hunting. And usually one or two of those are new to me. Yeah. And three of them are spots I really know. Because Perfect. I hunt more on the west side, industrial timberland. Yep. mixed in with the public BLM that doesn't really get logged as much, but lately more and more of it's been getting logged. Oh, good. Um, so what what I do, what I've learned is I can't hunt in a spot for more than a handful of years before it's a completely different spot, and it's just not conducive to yep. hunting anymore. Whether the brush grows up so thick that it's just impossible to move through it or see through it, or they clear-cut it and then... I usually give it a year or two before that's a clear cut. You can glass for rifle season, you know, mm -hmm. um, or bad cat population at that time or high yep. cat population. The predators always yep. move, pushes them around. Yep. The yep. people I've had a few spots that the first few years I hunted it were awesome and I never saw any more people. And then it's like they catch on. So all those reasons, like I normally get three or four years out of a spot and then I have to have new land. So that, that's why for me, I, I throw my trail cameras up in June. That's my month, and I let them run. I don't even I don't have satellite ones. Yeah. I don't even see them until the first week in the season, and that's when I visit my cameras and check what's going on. Um, hmm. And so, but I have my four or five spots with cameras in them. Yeah. That I know. Okay, there's a buck living here. I got a picture of him hard horned, so he's probably nearby you know mm -hmm. um, and it's just fun to see the velvet pictures and be like oh my goodness there's seven deer that live here yeah but you know all that to say i i agree with you on the scouting it's like i hunt so much in these areas i don't really need to scout the same spot right. over and over again like yep. scouting's great for finding new areas correct um yep. but yeah that's one way to get out there obviously elk hunting um you brought up high lakes trout fishing but it sounds like for you a lot of these things that are bringing you out there aren't just for the one activity like you said grouse hunting you're also blacktail camping Scouting. blacktail <laughs> high lakes trout yeah. well blacktail <laughs> yeah honestly yeah yeah i'm always paying attention and mm -hmm. trying to learn new stuff uh for a while there with the high lake fishing i was trying to hit every high lake in a certain region yeah and um and there is some bit of uh, the exploration, the unknown. What if it's amazing? What if yeah. the fish are really big? Yep. So I just love that adventure part. I love it. Yeah. Well, my conversation with Nathan Endicott was awesome. Uh, it was fun. I was so glad that he was willing to give up so much of his time. We went pretty long, and we actually got kicked out of the show because we went a little bit past when the show closes. 
So I'm just going to wrap up here the conversation via my headphone microphone. So please excuse the different quality audio than what you normally come to expect. But to wrap up our conversation of keeping ourselves in the woods 365 days a year, I live my life by seasons and everything that I do, all my different hobbies have a different season that I like to divulge. And I mean, part of that's forced on me by tag timing and when things are open when we're allowed to hunt but even if i could hunt all year round I, I probably would still naturally break it up into seasons so obviously we have blacktail elk and then after the big game seasons i jump right into duck hunting and over the winter time i love to duck hunt whenever i can uh, whether it's in the river or at the bays i don't have any private spots available to me so public land everything after duck season ends is when i jump into trout fishing like i mentioned earlier usually i'm trout fishing for the stalkers with my family we like to go out to any any nearby pond or lake that's stocked lakes are always the best when we can do some trolling but you know shore fishing's great with a three-year-old and then after that it comes pretty quick as turkey season or spring bear if i'm hunting spring bear that year this year i'm not but I'm excited for turkey that's coming up right around the corner and it's a great way to keep your skills sharpened and also just experience the turkey woods. It's a totally different hunt than anything else really. Uh, people compare it to elk hunting but you know it's a bird. <laughs> uh, and then we get into summertime and that's when camping season comes around. Of course I'm still fishing, I'm bass fishing, all that kind of stuff whenever I want but really it gets into camping and mountain biking for me until the weather gets too hot to mountain bike, but still love camping all through the summer, going quite a ways around the calendar there. In June is when I put my cameras out at my spots and then I just leave them all the way until season. Then I check them either the week of opening day or sometimes not even until a week into season when I finally get around to hitting whatever spot that camera is in. Next thing you know, we're back at it. It's blacktail season. And so there's just lots of opportunities and some, some things double up like I normally only grouse hunt during elk season. So there, there's an idea, my general year around the calendar of how I stay in the woods and the things that I enjoy doing, which it looks different for everyone. But hopefully that's encouraging to someone who's looking for an example of how to stay out there. To wrap up the whole conversation, the whole podcast, one of the themes that came up in our conversation was that of humility and how our lives in the outdoors exemplifies that humility and builds humility within us because it reminds us how small we are for one when we look out at a vast landscape we're just we're physically we're tiny each is each of us is individual human beings and we see what's bigger than us and then it opens our eyes to the fact that there's something even bigger than everything that we can see as dwarfed as we feel all of creation can feel dwarfed before god something so big and so powerful to have created all of that. So on that level, we, we feel humbled, even just physically, or like when we're climbing a mountain and we're wheezing and we're getting all beat up, or we're just dying in the heat, or we're freezing in the cold, all those things humble us on a physical level. It helps us in our battle against ourselves, our battle against pride and selfishness, which is intrinsic to the human experience. It's something that we're all born with. It is a large part of that original sin that we just can't escape from. We like to think higher of ourselves than we really are, and we like to take credit for things in our lives that are not ours to take credit of. And that's one way that my life in the outdoors has helped me learn about God and learn about a proper relationship with Him, which is completely yielding to His power and his ability over my own, even in my life. Instead of always trying to be the one that makes everything happen, when I yield to God, when I pray, when I ask him to provide, I can trust that he will provide. And when things work out like they always do, I don't take the credit and say, I was so witty, I was so smart, I was so strong, I'm the one who made all this happen, I'm the one who shoved the square peg through the round hole. No, instead I can give God the credit because I'm humbled by what he has done that I couldn't have done myself. The miracle of 
shoving the square peg through the round hole as it feels sometimes like the numbers aren't going to add up in our finances or in the hunting world i'm not going to be able to ever find an animal and you give all your energy and effort but then eventually you get that chance encounter with the game that you're pursuing and it's not just a chance a coincidence in the universe it's a gift from god it's a blessing he puts it in our lap and then it's just our responsibility to make it happen but and then even beyond that in the moment we have buck fever we have all the factors that could go wrong all the things all the little minute details that could mess up the encounter that could ruin the hunt but sometimes it all comes together and you know as much as we give our best effort to make it happen as much as we train we exercise we practice we work hard to make it all come together that much of it is on us but at the end of the day none of it is possible without god and i've been learning that a lot recently in my life and ministry but it has crossed over into my life in the outdoors and just recognizing that man i i give it my all i do my honest best and i know when i'm doing my honest best and god knows when i'm doing my honest best but no one else does no one else knows whether i'm being lazy or whether i'm really giving it my all but god sees that and he honors that and sometimes things come together and you find the animal that you've been pursuing but it's really a humbling experience and so i hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode i hope that you found some encouragement uh, in your outdoor pursuits here in the beaver state and i hope you consider that concept next time you're out there next time you're in the mountains and you you feel small just think about how small we all really are in our place in the universe in the light of god and how he still knows every single one of us and loves every single one of us and how much of a beautiful, amazing miracle that is. So good luck out there. Thanks for listening.